You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi folks, and welcome to episode 74 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts, and this is the show for November 2019. Well, this month's show is a little bit of an experiment. So it's a pre-recorded interview that I did with fellow podcaster, fellow photographer, and longtime friend of the show, Antonio Rosario. Um, you may know him from such ventures as uh, Switch to Manual or the Street Shots Photography podcast. And we basically tried out an idea that I'm hoping is going to be a long-term thing. It's going to run on this podcast. Not every month, but interspersed amidst, you know, the various mix of different formats that's already made up this show, I'm going to start having people who are photographers come on and share their passion for a photographer from history. And the idea is that we will all get to learn uh, through the work of these, you know, championed photographers and who better to champion a photographer than someone who's very passionate about them? Uh, so I'm hoping that basically every other guest will be as passionate and as interesting as Antonio was, because it was a really fun conversation, and it really convinced me that this idea has the potential to be really good. Um, so first off, thank you, Antonio, for agreeing to be the guinea pig. Uh, secondly, anyone listening um, who has a passion about a photographer from history whether or not you're a podcaster doesn't matter as long as you have the ability to get in a Discord call uh, at an acceptable quality. It does not be stellar, but acceptable. And who would be confident and happy to chat to me for anywhere between half an hour and an hour about a photographer, then I would love to have you on the show. So if that sounds like you, if you have a burning passion for photography you want to share with the audience, then please go to letstalk.ie, go to the contact page there, uh, just let me know that you're game, maybe mention the photographer that you're passionate about, and uh, some contact information, and I will uh, endeavour to get it set up, get it, you know, done. Um, as I said, I really want to get people with a passion, and I'm hoping that we'll end up with a broad spectrum of different photographers being championed as I, you know, get different people to come on and share their passion. So anyway, without further ado, let's just say thank you again to Antonio for being the guinea pig here. I really, really enjoyed recording with Antonio, and I'm hoping you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed recording. Well, Antonio, thank you very much for joining me today for this show. Um, you, you were a guinea pig. <laughs> I just, I've never been called that before. <laughs> so I have had this idea in brewing in the back of my head for quite some time that I, I sort I I've been a believer for a long time in the importance of learning from the past, and to that effect, we've had two really good interviews over the years um, with a photo historian, Jeff Curto, and they they were very mm-hmm. fun to do. But that was a bit more academic, sort of. You know, um, what I wanted. What I want to do, and you're the first of what I'm hoping is going to be a long and ongoing series, is okay. get people who are really passionate about a photographer who existed sometime before now, anytime uh-huh. before now, and excite the audience about their work and 
basically that way we learn history through pictures and people who are of interest to someone. So it's a lot more human than uh-huh. dates and all that kind of stuff. So you you are a photographer, but you were also very passionate about other photographers in the past. And so I asked you who, you know, proverbially blows your dress up. And the answer you gave me is... <laughs> Walker Evans. Okay, so I guess my first question is, when should I imagine Mr. Evans being active as a photographer? Mr. Evans uh, was active as a photographer mostly during the years of the Depression. Uh, okay. And so we're going to talk about like the the early 30s into the... Uh, let's say, or even late twenties, uh, into, you know, just past world war two, although he continued to do a lot of work, uh, after that. Um, and, but he became more of a scholar later on in life and, and was more teaching, but, uh, his prime stuff is certainly in the, uh, late twenties, early thirties and, uh, thirties and then early forties. Interesting. And so where, yeah. where, where, where was he mostly shooting? He shot everywhere. Okay, <laughs> this is this is the exciting thing about Walker. I'm so glad that you get me the opportunity to talk about him because uh, you gave me the choice between Irving Penn, who which I love, and I hopefully get a chance to you know plug him at some point. But yeah, like when absolutely. I talked about like if the you person want to come who back, Antonio, by all means, I've heard you talk about Penn before, and I know you're you you're a big fan too. So I, I will take oh you up on gosh, that. Oh my gosh, yes, yeah, and. Uh, but the thing is, like, when I boiled it down to, like, if you wanted to start the first thing, you know, like, this is your first time doing this with somebody who's really exciting to me, mm-hmm. I realized it's Evans because I resonate with a lot of the stuff that he he did. Um, okay. But, like, he lived, he he spent time in, um, well, actually spent some time in Europe for a little while early, which a lot of artists did early in, in the early 20th century, um, because it seemed like that's where P- Paris and, and France is where a lot of the like art things were happening. And so a lot of them went there yeah. to go get, you know, fired up and then come back to the United States with stuff. But then uh, he's, he lived actually in Brooklyn uh, for some period of time, uh-huh. which really excites me. <laughs> and um, he ended up working a lot for the government during the Depression uh, with the Farm Security Administration. So. Oh. So yeah, this so is part of his yeah Dorothy Lang would have been the other name that springs to my mind for that. Yeah, there was a there was a small group of people. I mean, they they the Farm Security Administration was hiring photographers a, a lot, you know, and uh, there were, um, the government was telling them to go out and photograph the conditions during the Depression and and bring them back so that you know the rest of the country and maybe the world could see what the Depression was doing to people. And um, this and is the Dust so Bowl era, is it? It is the Dust Bowl era, yeah. But uh, also up until just prior to, you know, World War II, um, so into the early 40s as well. And in fact, I think, actually, I don't know when the FS, I mean, like the Farm Security Administration had gone for a little while, but things ramped down, obviously, during World War II. So they weren't (laughs) shooting it. They had other things to worry about. Yeah, other minor Um, issues indeed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and actually World War II boosted the economy. So I think it pulled this, pulled the world, you know, the, the the plus side was it pulled you know out of the depression but anyway uh so um evans actually he's from uh oof, i can't remember where he's from all of a sudden but uh he wasn't born in new york but he did live in new york for a while oh he was born in um um st louis and oh. uh so you, yeah, okay he, so st louis paris new Brooklyn, york wow Al- yeah. alabama 
um, some other places down in the south, up north in 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 Vermont uh, or northeast, I should say, northeast United States for a project, uh, Havana, Cuba, which I'm also kind of tickled about uh, when I started oh. to do some research on him because my heritage is Cuban. Um, Tahiti, of all things, this was such an, uh, a one-off for him. I can maybe talk about that in a second. Uh, where else? Um, yeah, so you it. really weren't joking. You weren't being even margin mildly <laughs> flippant when you said everywhere. Wow. Yeah, the guys, you know, you know, except for, oh, wait, did he go to the, no, I don't think he went east. So I don't think he went to Asia or anything like that, but I, I could be wrong. I don't know everything about him. But yeah, no, he was everywhere. And especially in that time period that, that required a lot of, you know, like traveling, it was a lot more and Was he in the military you know? during the war? Is no, he was not. No, okay. No, no, no. He, he, uh, and I don't know how he, um, whether he was too old at that time. I mean, he was born in 1903, so that would make him in the. He would have been late 30s. Early. He wouldn't have been yeah, early to so, be drafted. Yeah. So I don't know what he was doing at the time that kept him from being, uh, involved in, in the war effort. Maybe still being part of, uh, the Farm Security Administration, you know, uh, kept him from having to go to, uh, war. Um, I don't know the specifics about that, but yes, he was everywhere. And, you know, when I'm looking at his work, uh, well, actually, I'm just of, thinking about oh, it logically, right? So yeah. you guys didn't join the war until the early forties. So he would have been almost 40 years old. He would not have been at the prime age to be conscripted. Right. right. But there have been other photographers who were uh, even older. Edward Steichen, for instance, uh, was in world war two as um in charge of the photographer pool in the Pacific. And he was right. well past age. He was in the sixties. He actually had to talk people into uh, getting him. him to, yeah. Um, but he had, he had the advantage of having been in world war one. Uh, so he was already involved with the military, but yeah. you know, um, it would have been, it is, you know, um, I want to say odd, but I, you know, I guess everybody had played their role during world war two and, 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 uh, Evan's role was probably something else that served, uh, the greater good. Um, in some yeah. way. Uh, but yeah. So uh, I'm going to say about that. Oh, he's in Missouri. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, him, uh, I think what excites me about him, and we just go back to myself for this. Like I, I grew up in New York and uh, near the museums where he is involved with. And New York was always a, a early Mecca for photographers. So a lot of them, you know, tended to be here or sort of somehow uh, conglomerate here, you know, mm. and, um, and, and he did as well. And he had pictures, he had uh, exhibitions in the museum of modern art um, and they own, you know, some of his work or they have in the permanent collection. And so growing up in New York later on, like I, you know, I didn't grow up in the forties, but, you know, growing up in the seventies and, and seeing, probably seeing his work a lot in the museums. And I knew I had books about him, on my shelf when I was a kid and my dad and my mom would collect, you know, art books and stuff like that. And so somewhere in my photo DNA, as I like to call it, like part of my, like I through osmosis, I've, I've absorbed uh, Evan's work. And just recently on my show on street size, my episode 99 uh, with one of my friends, uh, Ward Rawson, we did a deep dive on, uh, Walker Evans. And it got me a chance to sort of revisit him again, 
I mean, yeah. I've always loved his work, but to like really go into a dive into his work. And, and I was like, oh yes, this is why I love his work. And this is what he did. And, and he photographed in the subway and he shot in New York city and he did architecture in the South and in the Northeast. And all of a sudden I realized this is, this is the guy, this is the guy who I've always liked. And I always realized I've had, uh, had him in like in my mind when I'm, uh, going around and photographing. He's part of like the, uh, it became part of my essence. So that's my sort of pitch of like, yeah. And okay. <laughs> so I, I've been, I, I've been Google image searching. Um, mm-hmm. His work is quite varied. Um, exactly. Yeah. Between some extremely arresting portraits. Like the, I don't know. I don't quite know how to put his portrait style into words, but they, they tend to sort of really grab you. Mm-hmm. They're not subtle. Like they're like, there's something about the way he captures the people that they really hold your eye. And then also what I guess I would best describe as cityscapes and architectural. I mean, some of it is just very, very straightforward architectural. And some of it is more cityscapes. And then the portraits keep jumping at my eye, I have to say, as I scroll through it, they just keep catching me. So he... It's almost, um, yeah, yeah. There's something very eye-catching with the portraits. Do, do do we know what he shot with? Oh boy, uh, yes, uh, I, I got it someplace. Um, he shot with multiple format cameras. So, for instance, when he was doing the architecture, he was mostly using a, a kind of view camera. Uh, I don't know if it was a four by five or a smaller. So that would um, give him the it, tilts and the shifts and hence getting yeah, those perfect architectural yeah, it, shots. Exactly. It was important for him when he was doing his architecture to um, sort of remove the, um, how do we say this, uh, interpretation that a yeah. camera could give, you know? That, so, that's a like, really good know, way of putting it because I'm just looking at some of his architectures here and it's very factual, very yes. straight. Well, that's very much about what, what he is about. Now, you call that a documentary style. But um, I have a I have a really quote from a, a really good book uh, quote from a book. Just... It's from actually Gary Gary Winogrand said this about Evans. Uh, and this is going to be a little weird to parse. So okay. give me a second. I'm going to say it slowly. He goes, the photographs of Evans are about what is photographed and how what is photographed is changed by being photographed and how things exist in photographs. Oh, so, I like that. Yeah, it's like one of those things you sit there, you get it. It's a lot of stuff in there, but I think what it boils down to. Um, it, oh, here's another one. He said it's similar. He goes so from now on. Uh, from now on, every one of his subjects had to be shown as a photographed, not a photographic subject. So, taking those hmm. two quotes and parsing them in my mind is like is, is removing some of the interpretation, but not only strictly creating documentary. Um, right. Be, and, and this is, I'm still trying to like work this through in my own mind about it because it's, it's, I'm starting to formulate, um, sort of in, integrate that into my own, some of my own photography. Um, but that idea of like, you know, if you're shooting architecture, right. And you point up to a building and you're getting the distortion of the lens and it becomes then an interpretation of the building. The building is, you know, foreshortened and it's perspective and stuff like that. And and he's approaching his subjects, like saying the architecture, but like, I'm going to show you what this looks like. The lines are straight. 
there's there's light raking across the building so you can see some texture and you can get some ideas about this but this is this thing and here well, it is what you're describing here lines up so well with the photograph i've just stumbled across in there's a book online for free the uh, for i think it's is it moma or who is it it's no the getty museum have their walker evans book available as a free pdf to download well, then I have to have that link. I don't have that yet. <laughs> yeah. I, I, where did I find that? I found that on the bottom of the Wikipedia entry for, entry for Evan's links to it. But, Very nice. Okay. So on page 20 of that book, it he has a picture of skyscrapers in Manhattan. Um, it, uh, let me see. Read the caption here. 1929 Manhattan is what it says. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's three skyscrapers behind each other. And you know the way if you take mountain photographs, you can have that effect of layering caused by the different mountains being different color or different shades? Yes, yes, yes. Well, he has one skyscraper that's being lit really, really harshly. Yes. And then the one behind it has got a bit of side light and the one behind that is completely in shade. And so you have these three silhouettes superimposed on each other. One of them is very bright, one of them is gray and one of them is black. And then in mm-hmm. front of it all is a wisp of steam coming off. You know the way New York is steam everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I, I mean, know the shot you're talking about, even if you're not, if I'm not looking at it. I know that picture. Yeah, like it's it's abstract yet very obviously of buildings, and it's very much about what it looks like photographed. Right? That's not a photograph of the building. That's a f- photograph of the building. Like. Well, yes, but when you look at Evans' work, just like all of us, and this is what uh, this is so great um, that you asked me about this guy because he. You can see his evolution very um, – it's very apparent when you look at his pictures. Like the, his early photography was a lot more influenced by his his visits to Europe and, and France um, where you see a lot more abstraction. And right. I think about that for myself or, or like when I was first picking up my camera for the first time, my, my – whatever I considered my first camera, like my first 35 millimeter camera and what I would take pictures of. And it was like finding myself. And I was like, you know, you kind of shoot anything. And, and I would photograph these things, like whether it would look good or not. But I said, let me see what that looks like. Let me see what that looks like. And I got the sense from, from diving into Evan's work, like he's doing the same thing. He's coming back with an influence, but he's looking at the place that he lives in this, in this case, New York city. Mm-hmm. And he's seeing it through the eyes of, of where he had just been. And, yeah. but then he moves on, you know, and then, I mean, his architecture work from the the early, uh, late twenties, like you're talking about to when he's shooting for the farm and, uh, security administration say, around yeah. that time period, it's night and day difference, you know? Yeah. But I think what you're catching on that there's still this undercurrent of like, you know, um, what you're, what you're talking about, like it, it being a document of something. Uh, but I think his earlier work is more interpretive and his later work is, it's certainly less interpretive, but I think there's still an interpretation in his later work, even if he's presenting it as like a, a document, a document of this thing. It yeah. still has an interpretation to it, um, which I think is 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 just genius um, on on his part. Uh, and we and should so that's say what I get so excited about you know th- these are all black and whites, um, and mm-hmm. sometimes he's really playing with some very strong contrasts, um, some you know inky blacks and. Actually, a lot of inky blacks. I, I So I'm scrolling through this book, which is obviously categorized as photographs. And the next category after the architectural stuff is street photography in New York, which is very right. much your kettle of fish. <laughs> See? <laughs> I, there's, there's some stuff here shot through the window of a diner as people in, in hats, because, of course, in the 20s, you still wore hats. 
people right, in right. in hats eating fast food, which of course to us is very weird looking fast food because they have utensils and plates and things. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, he's got again. You look at his street photography. He shot New York, and he shot some other cities uh, in a very similar way. Yeah, and, and then there's stuff um, from New York State where he's doing architecture from New York State, and it's completely different. Exactly, exactly. The, the okay, so the broad picture is I love um, that a photographer can have all these different kinds of things that you don't have to be attached to this one style of photography yeah. and it, it's all equally valid and all speaks of, of his personality. And, and, you know, it gives me a lot of hope for myself because like, you know, I, like you said, I spent a lot of time shooting street photography, but recently this past summer, I decided to walk around in his shoes a lot. And I actually visited a town upstate New York a little bit, which had a lot of buildings from the time period that he might've, you know, photographed. And I went and I said, let me see what it's like to walk in his shoes a little bit and, and photograph in his way. Uh, and I, I even set up a preset on my camera, on my Fuji camera. I set a preset and I called it Evans. Um, <laughs> Very good. <laughs> like that. And, and yeah, it took me a while to experiment to find out like an initial color palette or black, I was shooting black and white, a, a black and white palette that kind of fit what I thought, you know, would be his work. And then I actually have to do a little tweaking about it. But when I walked around and I'm looking through the filter of the camera, literally, and yeah. I'm seeing these things, it was, it was almost like a time, uh, travel. You know, yeah. and uh, I was uh, actually while I was walking through, I was I was texting with some of my fellow uh, collective photographers. Um, and I was saying this place is a real gold mine <laughs> in terms of like, I wonder if Evans ever came to this town and, and photographed it. And um, but I was seeing through his eyes, which I thought was a really interesting um, travel. But I want to go back for a second. You asked me what cameras he used. Yeah. Cause, OK, so this... for for architecture, obviously, medium format or bigger makes sense. But there's no way he's doing that for these street shots. Right. No, he's he's walking around with a Leica camera and 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 photographing uh, uh, the people in the streets. And so, uh, okay, I'm going to back you up a sec there. So, a Leica okay. camera that's not going to be a 35 millimeter, or is it going to be a 30? It is probably a 35 millimeter. Um, okay, so nice and portable, but, even if it is yeah, very but high I, quality. I, I again, I could be getting you know someone some someone might fact check me and say no, it was wrong. But he was walking around with a portable camera. I mean, I don't know what other film stocks were available that would have fit in a small camera that you could carry around uh, at that time, you know, right. um, yeah. you know, just, you know, being uh, discreet about it. So, um, I mean, it wasn't a 120 camera, you know, it wasn't a larger medium format camera, I, I'm which be, I know he had. I'm going to be slightly, this is slightly unfair of me, but I don't suppose you happen to know how, how in time he relates to Cartier-Bresson. In in what way? As in, was was Bresson working at around about the same time in France? Yes, or? yes, yeah. I mean, okay. Bresson actually, Bresson lived. He lived until the uh, he died relatively recently, actually. Oh. So he was, yeah. Um, they and and uh, whether or not they cross paths, um, good question. But okay, so, but they're know. so not a million months. But off. they're definitely contemporaries. Yeah, yeah. there's definitely a contemporary. You know. Because there's some of um, these shots really do, I feel, are slightly Bresson-esque. I've just made up a word there, but I like it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put that down as a, you know, a, a new coinage. Word. It's fine. Let's talk photography. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, part of, part of, uh, I mean, one of the things that Evans did in, in New York, and I don't know if you see it when you do the, the Google search for him, but is mm. uh, subway portraits, right? Yeah. They're very candid. 
Yeah. But still Again, with that same palette, right? So you used the word palette earlier, which is very interesting because everyone can shoot monochrome, but they don't look the same. Like There is a distinctive, he has a distinct, I presume a distinct way of processing because he would have been using the same film stock as everyone else. So whatever way he was developing his shots. Well, it's probably more, it's probably more being done in the printing rather than the processing. Okay, yeah, okay. So in my mind, everything in the dark room is the same. But I, I, I get yeah. So somewhere well, between, it, it, yeah. I mean, you you've got you know to go back to my old days. You you've got certain you you can you know tweak film processing to get certain you know effects. Um, but if you're generally just processing the film to get a you know a standard negative, like this is what the film produces, then it's going to be in the dark room when you're putting the negative in the enlarger and printing and using different papers, different contrasts. That's where you're going to have more interpretation I mean, you can do dodging and burning um, right so there's a, probably a lot more happening in the printing process than there is in the developing of the negative process although you know those two things can be combined and you really have to be a master at knowing what you want because you know if you mess up the processing of the film then all the stuff that you're going to do in the darkroom later is going to be a lot harder so right but so anyway, he's not yeah, going yeah, down like to one era photo he is crafting these yes. photographs Right. And, you know, and we're seeing the interpretations, like when we're looking on Flickr, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Wikipedia or on the screen, we're seeing an interpretation of the print, yes. you know, so there's a few steps removed, but you're getting a general idea. Yes, there is. There is something to the way he wants to present his work. And um, it was also it was one of the things that he would get in trouble with with the government, too, because he wanted a certain way to present his work. And the government was like, no, you got to present it this way. He's like, no, we got to do it this way. Right. But that's later on. Yeah. yeah. Um, with a great story about his his subway portraits. And again, it's you, you, you touched on that before when you were talking about his other portraits. I'm thinking the, probably some of the farm, the sharecropper um, portraits, which are very, very striking is that he is still approaching this as a like how a document and there's very little interpretation involved. And so the subway stuff, he would go around with an overcoat on with a lens sticking out of the overcoat. And he had a, <laughs> a, a release cable that would go, I guess, up his sleeve and into his hand. And he would stand in front of people and take pictures. And part of the trouble with that was the subways of the old were not very well lit and uh -huh. they were moving around a lot. And so he often would have to wait for the train to stop so that he could take a long exposure and he would have to, you know, find a place where there was enough light. Although, you know, often there wasn't enough light. So he'd have to do a very long exposure just to get, to get something. So, um, but he would also only photograph during the winter. And I'll ask you if you know why, based on some information I just told you. Winter. Yeah. Often when it was cold. Oh, no coats. Exactly. <laughs> Just like he had to wear a coat in New York subway system during the summer. There was, it was, you could not be wearing an overcoat. <laughs> you would be, you would die. Yes. So he would tend to photograph. Yeah. If you look at his subway pictures, most of them are photographed or if not all of them are photographed. Well, oh, that explains like there's on. one with a woman in a big fur coat with a newspaper tucked under her arm and yeah. Okay. Yes. I see it now. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, but again, what he did was approach that as a series. He didn't, he didn't continuously do that. He did it for a couple of years, uh, just at the beginning of World War II. So like from 1939 to 1941, and, but then he stopped and then he moved on to whatever he was going to do after that. So what's interesting about his work is that he tended to do these things in little pockets, right? So he did a project and then, and that was done. And then he would do another project and then it was done. And sometimes he had some things that, that he would do over time, but not, not, not as much. And so mm. uh, that's why you see these little, these, 
these certainly these different types of work and and they're really you know placed in time um yeah, because I'm continuing to scroll through this book, which I'm definitely going to put the link in the show notes, and I think you're going to want to read this. There was a whole chapter on Cuba, followed by a chapter on his photographs of African artistic objects from Africa. Yes. Oh, can I tell you about that? Yes, please, because they were <laughs> oh, see, this is the other cool thing. <laughs> well, um, he had to photograph these things as a catalog for a museum. And right. he had to come in late at night to do this. And I believe it, part of the problem was he was having um, trouble with lighting these these objects. And and they weren't getting, you know, he, put, he would set lights up and, and, and they were creating shadows and the background was creating shadows and it was really troublesome for him. And so uh, he may not be the first person to have done this, but I like to think so. He's certainly a pioneer in this. Uh, one of the ways he decided to get rid of shadows was he would set the camera up for a long exposure and then take the, the light and rotate it around the oh, object. That so in a sense, the look, right? And so in a sense, he's doing light painting, right? Yes, because he's painting the object with light, and then and by doing that, he is eliminating the shadows. And that work is so different than any of his other work. I mean, but he's doing it because it's a job, right? You know, he's he's got this job to catalog these African masks. Um, right. and, and yet he's creating, he's creating artwork from these other pieces of artwork, I right. think. Because you're right, are it's very different to his other stuff, but it's also very different to your average museum catalog. Exactly, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I mean, they are. I, I couldn't put my finger on why they looked different, but they did. And now that you've mentioned about the shadows, that yes, that's it. Like, it's very strange light. And now and I understand. And it's kind of a genius way to think about that. And again, I don't know if anybody else has done that. So uh, maybe maybe he wasn't the first to do it, or maybe he was. But I like to think he, he was certainly a pioneer in in that and and whether or not people followed his you know example later on i, I don't know but uh it certainly was um uh it was a, a way of, he solved the problem right and then yeah. he also by doing that created uh, a new way of seeing something you know and again that that carries over with all his work he's there to to like how is this thing documenting this thing but there's something more to it like the the sense that he's light painting with with these lights in a long exposure, he's creating an interpretation of it. Like our eyes would not see that naturally, you know. Yeah, we don't see we see things with shadows. Things are lit by one way, or um, we don't see over a period of time like a time exposure would do. And so he's he's doing this. He's interpreting this stuff. So it's almost uh, hyper real because they look. They're very obviously documentary photographs, but there's something about them that makes them look more real than real. And I, it must be the fact that there's nothing in shadow. Everything is picked out. Yeah. And, you know, it's also interesting that they're in black and white, too. Yes. And uh, so that adds to this, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, texture and, and, and contrast is kind of all he has to work with. Well, and composition, obviously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Although the composition doesn't well, really come into those artifacts because they're they're very much composed right. for use in a catalogue, right? They're not, you know, off to one side or whatever. He's not being creative with the composition. He's being creative with the light and how he's capturing it. Yeah. And what's interesting is back then, you know, color film was just getting started and some people used it and some people didn't and all had all sorts of problems. Uh, Walkers did not like color film at all. At some point in his early life, when when color was around, he called it vulgar, which I thought was kind of over the top. I don't for him. think it matches his style. I, I don't think adding color would make his images more. I think they'd make him less. Well, but there is that's true, and I think 
what was happening though was a lot of people uh who approached photography as as an art thought color was not the way to um present artwork it was black and white photography that created the art and mm. anytime you saw something that was in color it was an advertisement or some glossy thing that was just you know over the top and what's interesting about those pictures in the museum is that you would think as a document right you would want to have mm. them in color because i'm sure these masks had some kind of color and maybe the museum could have afforded color film but you know they chose to go black and white for whatever reason and that then creates in the sense of the mind of people back then you know this is more this recording of this mask this photograph of this mask is like for the catalog but it the the photograph itself becomes a work of art yes it's not just a document if it was a document why not just shoot it in color right because then yes i mean i know color is more expensive to print i mean given all that stuff but you could still take a color print a color negative and print it in black and white you know if you're talking about saving printing costs but like you know the museum needs these things for their archive, right? They need these things. So if you're yes. going to record them. So anyway, I don't know if that's, you know, I might be making a you know mountain of a molehill. Well, no, no, but... you're not. Because as I was scrolling through those images, there was something that they, they, they were captivating. And I didn't, I, I wasn't able to put my finger on what it was, but now I can. And it, it's something like, I at first, like you were saying, at first glance, they're very straight, very, you know, factual photographs but there's more to them they're they're Mm -hmm. not just a document they're a document with artistic creativity and so this book i'm definitely 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 linking in the show notes because it's amazing um (laughs) it's chronological so as i'm scrolling i'm going forward in time and what you described Mm -hmm. at the start was that his style becomes more and more straight i'm noticing that but Mm -hmm. while it is all while it is very straight as I'm, I'm now in 1936 his compositions are turning those very straight shots into something that really captures the eye so i'm looking at one now from 1936 shot in mississippi so he's now gone out west at, well middle of the country i guess rather than west and he's got a farmhouse and the extreme left of the shot and then these not quite straight furrows running parallel of the entire right-hand half of the image, leading you straight to the background of the photograph. And it is, on the one hand, extremely factual, right? It is devoid of any sort of, there's Mm -hmm. no humanity Mm -hmm. in the shot, there's no Mm -hmm. flourish, but the composition is so striking that it's still an extremely artistic image, even if it is very, very factual. Yeah, well, I think I got the shot in front of me. It's a it's a wooden shack, right? In it's the a front, little wooden the shack, foreground. and they slightly we there's like the furrows in the foreground don't quite go straight. Yeah, yeah, I got it. You know, I mean, that's on the one well, hand, you know that's what's interesting, simple. But I love that composition; is very powerful. One of the things that he, one of the things he did. Sorry to to jump in, but one no. of the things he loved to do was he collected postcards. Uh, <laughs> in that time period, postcards often were like of like if you visited a town. Uh, the picture of the town and showing the, the main street down the middle or a picture of, you know, this house. And he collected tons and tons of postcards. In fact, when he died, he had, uh, he had a very, very large collection of postcards. Yeah. And, and what those did was they sort of influenced the way he photographed these landscapes, quote unquote, you know, with buildings and whatnot. So if you see a lot of his pictures like that, they're kind of echoing these, these postcards, these sort of views that he had 
collected of these places. And everywhere he went, he would collect postcards. That's um, interesting. So postcard technique of something that would not ordinarily be postcard worthy. Exactly. Exactly. Now, you know, you're looking at a postcard like someone would sell you. You want to see the best parts of the town, you know, and you yeah. see the, the town square or the, you know, the main street and all the stores along the sides. Right? And he's taking that approach to places that are a bit average. You wouldn't necessarily photograph and wouldn't show up in a postcard, but he's, yeah. but he's applying the same techniques to that. Um, is and that, it, that is such – that's so – I love this. That's so fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Something else that strikes me here, he seems very obsessed with shape. Mm. Seems to really seek out shapes. Um, and in his, a lot of his architectural stuff, triangles seem to feature very strongly or squares. But I'm noticing one shot that's really caught my eye. It's a portrait of a lady in front of Cherokee Parts, a garage of some sort. And – this is obviously a place you go to get your car fixed, but out the front, they have tires and wheels and hubs and spokes. And it is just circles, 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 and more circles. <laughs> and he has the, 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 the lady he's taking a portrait of posing in front of these many, many, many circles. And it's just a repeating motif. None of them are the same because obviously at the time they hadn't standardized on a car wheel size. Mm-hmm, so they're mm-hmm. all different. It's very interesting. There's a there's another shot that is follows that same uh, motif in a way, and, and he photographed it down in um, I believe it was in. Uh, oh, I am spacing out. What's the name of the town where they have Mardi Gras? <laughs> Mardi Gras in <laughs> uh, New Orleans. New Orleans. Oh my gosh! This is what happens when you get old people and you start forgetting. It's a woman standing in front of a barber shop, and the barber shop is painted with all these stripes. Uh, I, uh-huh. I presume red and white, but I, you know it's a black and white photograph. And she's wearing a shirt that is full of stripes and and lines. And so it's very good to observe this. Like he is very much aware of shapes and and uh, um, and putting those two together, combining you know what's going on in the foreground, what's going on in the background and, and being very aware of um, how things, uh, the, the geometry of things too. And without color, you know, you're left with contrast, you're left with shape and you're left, I guess we always have composition, I suppose, and texture. Right. So shape is yeah. extra important when color is not among your tools. Exactly. And, you know, that's, you think about it, that's part of the reason why, I think back then they thought, you know, color was not the serious thing, that black and white, because black and white was so much about, you know, you're just talking about shapes and forms and whatnot. And and where do you see that? But in artwork, you know, so uh, it's really, uh, it's interesting. So he, um, and I, of course, you see all that in his architectural photography too. You know, when he's, uh, one of the series he did was a lot of um, shots of uh, churches down in the South, very Which, small churches, um, but all photographed kind of the same way, straight on. And uh, very much aware of their shapes and uh, showing a little bit extra of the background, like like you would when you were looking at it with your own eyes, right? Didn't yeah, the church ones are really tight. nice. And because they're yeah. so perfectly taken, um, you know, the, there's nothing to draw your eye away from the shapes of the building because the, the edges of the building are perfectly parallel to the edges of the frame. So there's nothing distracting. Your eye is completely hooked on the building. Mm-hmm. And the shapes of the building. So I guess if I was an architect, I'd really want Evans to take pictures of my work because I think my work would look its best if he took the picture. Yeah. Actually, if you look at his work about architecture, you'll notice one thing 
that he often does is that he never shoots straight on, like directly straight on. He'll he'll actually offsets the camera a little bit to the left or the right, more times than not, uh, so that then you begin to see some of the sides of like like if you have a column, like a square yes. column, it doesn't just look like a a rectangle in the shot, but you'll actually see some of the left side of the column or some of the right side of the column or you'll see a little bit of the size of the building or something like yeah, that. Yeah, there's three-dimensional because of that. Now, you see, until you'd said that, I hadn't noticed it. But now that you've said it, as I'm scrolling here, I'm going, oh, would you look at that? Off by five degrees or like not a huge amount. Exactly. He's not gone to the side. He's just a step it's or two. just enough. Yeah, it's just enough. And he likes to photograph with a certain kind of light often. He called it a raking light. So the yeah, sun is sort of cutting across the, the shadow at a slight angle. And, you know, someone who may not be like very much into architecture photography might just look at it and say, oh, it's a straight on shot of a building. But when you start to look with more depth, then it's the kind of thing that you might sort of resonate with as, as if you were standing there because we kind of stand there and we, you know, things look three dimensional to us in, in person. Uh, you know, and he does leave a lot of space on the sides of the building so that there's you see some sky or some of the sides, you know, what's next to the building. And again, that's to sort of mimic how we would see with our own eye. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of very subtle, subtle things that go on with his with his imagery. And that three dimensionality um, really does come out by just going that tiny bit off straight, especially with the raking light, because what it means is that those those edges you see a little bit of are very are often in really deep shadow. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, but you notice the shadows like the way they printed the shadows sometimes are very deep or very open. You can see some of the information in the shadows. And so, uh, yeah. again, you know, I think when, uh, say, a photographer is, is printing with very deep uh, shadows and, and uh, um, you know, bright highlights, it's more of an interpretation, you know, because you, as our human eye sees, we can actually see into those shadows. We can see those highlights. And so I think he's sort of balancing that a little bit so that we, you know, um, we can uh, uh, see all the information. And again, he's uh, he's out there to record, right? So he isn't yeah, trying to create to, too much of an interpretation. To me, the effect it has is to to emphasize the shapes of the architecture, because, of course, architectural shapes aren't two-dimensional, they're three-dimensional, right? You have, the architect has chosen to have porticos sticking out. Right, right. And if yeah. you don't capture the three-dimensionality, then you haven't captured the essence of the building. If it's a yes. building that and has, you know, those kind of architectural features. And um, he... Oh, I just spaced out. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, this no. happens to me. Yeah. I say, I mean, I um, haven't really let you go to any sort of plan. I'm sort of pulling you here and there, but it, I have to yeah. say, I understand why you're so fascinated by this guy, because, like, he, he has such a his portfolio is wow, like, geez. yeah, yeah. Any, any had the I'm going to say the luck, but the the growing up in a time where there was a lot happening in the world and, and photography was relatively new compared to, you know, any other art form at that time uh, and it, it being used in so many different ways. And so he sort of plopped himself in this period of history uh, where all these things sort of came together. You know, I don't think we'll ever, ever have a time period where, where like someone like a Walker Evans can come in and do so much. Um, but what's great about him is that you'll find that so many other photographers, photographers who I'm influenced by as well, like, you know, Gary Winogrand is a street photographer and he's mm. been influenced by Walker Evans and, you know, uh, or, uh, Robert Frank even worked with Ro Walker Evans. Like a lot oh. of roads come back to this guy, you know, and he's also being influenced by 
Evans is being influenced by photographers during the Civil War, like um, uh, Matthew Brady and, and uh, Alexander Gardner, and uh, how they documented the Civil War in the United States. And so, um, a, a, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of arrows point back to to Evans, you know, from a from a creative point of view. And yeah. uh, he's always been he's always been someone in my mind. And I just recently, like I said, I just recently got so excited by him because I decided to do that this deep dive on my own show with him. Um, and there's so much to him, but it, what's really uh, nice is that he, the, the, this idea that he's just covered so many different things and he did it really well, you know? Well, I think and, it's a nice uh, thing, right? If you wanted to be inspired by someone, he's not in, he's not taking pictures of things any of us can't take pictures of. These are ordinary exactly. people, yeah. ordinary places, ordinary buildings, but being treated as if they're special. Yeah, we can all do that. Yeah, uh, and and as you're saying that, the, another um, quote from a text I can't exactly say where it came from popped up, uh, and uh, let me just read it to you because it's, it's funny. Evans had the extraordinary ability to see the present as if it were already the past. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it, that sinks in so much with me. As I'm like thinking, like when I'm walking in his shoes and I'm looking at these things and I'm taking pictures of them, and like, what is it about this thing that I'm photographing that it, it makes it exciting? Makes it like I'm walking in his shoes, and what is it about? And when I just read this, I just posted, I just like found it before we got on, uh, got onto recording. I was like, that is really interesting for me too. That the the ability to see something that exists now as if it was already the past. Um, yeah. That, that covers his work all across the board, I think. Uh, it has a gravitas to it that, that will definitely stand the test of time. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So the, the, I've now come to the end of the book. He made this 1976, where he has, there's literally a few. They have three Polaroids in colour from him at the very back of this book. So this is the Getty Museum collection. So they're, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, it's so obviously they don't have very many colour photographs by him, which I guess means he didn't shoot very many, but... Well, could I go into that quick second? Yeah, sure. <laughs> because uh, t- towards the towards the later part of his life, uh, while he was teaching, someone gave him uh, an SX70 Polaroid camera. And mm-hmm. remember I said earlier on, he had once said that color was vulgar. And yes. uh, he, uh, in his older time, you know, was finding it a lot more difficult to create photographs in his old way by carrying cameras around and setting them up. And so this thing, this SX70, which is, you know, an, it's spitting out, pictures um he doesn't have to do much work to it in fact he doesn't do anything it's just to point the camera and shoot he he took off with this and he started to record people who were around him he started to record you know objects that he would find signs and bits of letters and stuff like that and we're back to shapes again because one of the ones here that's really eye-catching is a very unusual view of a fire hydrant from above where it's sort of like circles with circles coming off it actually looks like a head with nipples yeah yeah. And what it made me think about, uh, what I got excited about is like, if he lived till now, let's just say he actually, his right. birthday just passed last week. Um, I can't remember the exact date, but it was definitely last week. Uh, you know, he might've embraced something like an iPhone. Jesus. Right? Yeah. <laughs> because, because essentially it, the SX 70 that he was using back then was exactly the same as what we were using now. Like what, you know, what we're doing now with our iPhones is like the ability to just point, you shoot and you collect. And yeah, I he mean, would have had a great time with that. And with an eye like his, they would have been 
even before the iPhones got good, he would have been taking interesting pictures because it doesn't exactly. really matter how many megapixels you have if what you're capturing is compelling shapes and compositions. You know, well, you- exactly. I mean, those early Polaroid cameras, they, you know, they were okay. They weren't, the picture quality wasn't great, you know, and the, sometimes the film would be kind of weird and, and, and whatnot. It would have sort of a faded look to it or something like that. Now we think that's really cool because of filters, you know, but, yeah. but back then it was, you know, this new thing, a p- picture comes out and it's developed in two minutes. You don't have to do anything with it. And that would have been very, very exciting for him. So, um, but he didn't seem to be concerned with the quality of it. And he was more concerned with, what he could collect, what he could uh, create with it. So, um, so he did change his mind <laughs> afterwards. He finally. So I see. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, but then again, his color photographs are it still shapes. It's still it's still the things he was interested in before, but now in color. It's, yeah, he's yeah. What yeah. an eye! He's also like, a, just. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that like all right. So you're saying you know the styles are very different, and that's so obviously true now that I was scanning through the whole book there, but. He has an amazing eye, period. Like, it doesn't matter what he turns his camera to, his photographic eye is superb. Yeah, yeah. And to think he started photography, this is where I go back to to resonating with him a bit. He wanted to be a writer, and he just couldn't find writing as a way for him to express himself. And so he decided to pick up a camera, and he found that he could create a poetry through through photographs. He could create uh, an expression of himself. Through photographs and and the, the where I I read that and I said you know the similarity for me was like I always wanted to draw because I always thought mm-hmm. drawing was a great way of expressing yourself. You sit down with a piece of paper and you just draw what you th- is on your mind, yes. and I I really couldn't do that. It didn't come to me quality, and so the camera was the natural, um, you know, uh, substitute for that. You know, so you Amen know I'm not saying that. that I'm like him. Yeah, I don't think that I'm like him. I mean, we're we're completely different people, and we, our backgrounds are different. But when I see those little things, and I think about how many other people in the world, you know, have picked up a camera for the same reasons. You know, whether it's they can't write or 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 can't draw or whatever it is that, that drew them to photography. It's like that kind of thing. It's like a it's a universal for uh, for um, uh, photographers as artists. You know, we can we can all resonate with that. So. Uh, no, no, it's, I completely, <laughs> I, I completely agree with you. I always wanted to be good at art, you know, to to, to be able to create a beautiful painting. It turns out I suck. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, but I can take the world and find the beautiful bits and capture them. And so again, photography turned out to be the natural fit for me because I want to make images. Like I, I feel a need to make images. And I tried first from the empty page to a finished image, and that did not happen. But starting from the universe to a curated image, that I can do. Mm. And clearly... Very satisfying yeah. when you find that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I, I don't know, I, I, think you, I, I think we're speaking the same language here, but I, I certainly, f- I always had a need to express myself, and photography was the first time I felt I didn't suck. <laughs> Yeah, it took me a little while to figure that out. It wasn't 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 so quick, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it took, obviously it takes took me a while, some time. But I, th- I, th- I discovered photography twice. Once before I became a teenager, and I wasn't very good at it. And then once, you know, as a teenager, one drops everything one does. Right? That's that's what it means to be a teenager. Mm-hmm. And one just wastes one's time. Literally, I spent hours sitting around, you know, not catching very many fish along rivers and doing anything but being useful. 
And then in my mid 20s, I sort of reconnected with actually being productive and I restarted with photography and then it just clicked almost instantly. I think I had somewhat of the same journey, but it took me a lot longer because uh, like I grew up with commercial photography. I even went to school and, you know, wasn't really learning the art of photography. I was learning like how to make pictures. And, and uh, uh, my first part of my existence was being in, involved in a commercial photography world. So like even my own creations were with that as an, with an eye towards that. And it's only when, that sort of dropped off and I could pick up my camera and say, well, I don't have to worry about making money with it. I mean, I'd like to, but I don't have to really yeah. worry about it. And now I can say what, what's going to come out from, from this, like, you know, can I, can I express myself with it? And, and yeah, you know, I think the answer is yes, but it took, it took no, me a it, long the time. answer is yes, Antonio. I can tell you it's yes because I follow you on Twitter. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. You know, but this is interesting to try to figure out like, um, you know, put myself in, in like, a, like the shoes of anybody from the past and, and uh, say, what what is my goal with photography? What am I trying to do? What am I trying to say? And, uh, you know, part of like, like for me, examining these these photographers in the past, like Walker Evans, is to try to find that for myself as well. You know, like well, what, like, what I'm going to take away voice? from this. What I'm going to take away from this is that I do not need to feel constrained by what I normally shoot. I I can photograph anything I want to. And I don't need to be a blah photographer is what I'm going to take away. I like that. And I think for me, this, this, um, this ability or this idea that it, to take things uh, that I see now uh, and record them as if uh, um, it was already uh, the past, you know, if I could, if I could follow that route a little and see what happens. And I think that actually fits my work. You know, if I, I might have to sit with that for a little, let it percolate a little well, that, bit. That's a but, really good way of summing up what I've always wanted to do with my photography. I've, I've always wanted to capture that sort of, there's a very famous Irish photographer. He's probably not very famous anywhere else in the world, but he's, he's called Father Brown. And his photographs uh -huh. are charming because he captures Ireland of the first two decades or so of the 1900s perfectly. They're ordinary and yet timeless and then i sort of i always wanted to say if someone 200 years from now is interested in the railroads of ireland or the canals of ireland or the you know the wildlife of ireland what what did it look like what did it feel like actually not what did it look like what did it feel like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's what i'm trying and probably failing to capture but that, that that's sort of been my inspiration is you know when I look at the Father Brown photographs, I feel what Ireland felt like in 1910 and so forth. He was actually the, one of his fame, his brief encounter with fame was that he was a passenger on the RMS Titanic, but a very, very fortunate one. He got on in France and got off in Cove. Because it's Where's that? south of Ireland. So basically the Titanic uh -huh. started in France, went up to Liverpool, stopped in Ireland and then failed to cross the Atlantic. So he got on in France and got off in Ireland. And most of the people who died got on in Ireland. And well, Oof. they didn't make it to New York, right? So he has photographs of the Titanic sailing off into the distance. So he, he certainly picked the right leg of the trip to be on. <laughs> oh boy, did he? Yeah. yeah. So a lot of photographs and books about the Titanic will be from the Father Brown collection because he was a, a capable, competent photographer 
who managed to both him and his camera because you know others who were on board may have taken pictures but those pictures are on the bottom of the atlantic right right but right. his or his came off but this is interesting you said about the feeling right that the 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 feel of uh ireland at the time um yeah because it's not just it's not just you know it's this shape and it's that shape they're, they're, a place there's an essence to a place right mm-hmm. and that that's sort of what i want because a lot of my photographs are not photorealistic i tend to amplify textures i may amplify right, colors right, right but it's right. because i think the amplified version feels right exactly yeah it's that it, you know i have that same experience when i'm photographing uh, a lot of my street uh pictures um yes yeah they know, have it's a, not just I, I, there's a grit a gritty texture and I mean grit not in a bad way no, like no. dirt just, I get what you mean like, a really good way like that it, it, yes yes yeah but it, it's funny when you were saying this about the feeling of picture the the, the to circle back down back to a uh, Walker Evans again if I if I can hmm. he's got this great quote and uh it might sum everything up but he says or said the eye traffics in feelings not in thoughts oh I love that 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 is yeah. wonderful, and that okay, that is the perfect place to to draw a line under it. Okay, I want to say thank you ever so much, Antonio. Uh, I you know I think we went over time. <laughs> I guess at the time, uh, I, you know, I wanted you to quote and evangelize, and I am sold. Uh, you have just made a new Walker Evans fan, um, and I'm oh, hoping I... many more in the audience are also now Walker Evans lovers because what a photographer. Can I uh, let me plug a book okay. uh, of, of of his, not of his, but this one wrote of his. It's a nice primer uh, to Walker Evans. Uh, it's a kind of small format book. It's called Walker Evans, The Hungry Eye. Oh, great title. And uh, let's see what I have my, my glasses on. But if you do a search for Amazon, the Walker Evans, The Hungry Eye, it's a small format book. So some of the pictures are actually printed a little small, but it gives you a nice overall. It's also not a very expensive book. It's not. Um, it's so, hard, the hardcover on Amazon.com, twenty six ninety nine. Yeah, I have the soft cover version, which is nice because then I could just stick it in my bag, and you know, it's not a, it's not a big thing to carry. But it gives you a little bit of history about him. It has a very very good selection of his work. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, some of them are printed too small. They, they, there's an exhibition of his work that's reprinted in, in its entirety. It's a little teeny tiny. But you really get a sense of his work. And it's actually, it's it's printed very nicely. And I, I like to recommend with some of these older photographers or I should say photographers from the past that instead of looking at their pictures on the internet in a in a format um, that they're, it's not the way their pictures were intended to be seen. I mean, mm. at least in a book format, you, you realize, you know, uh, some, someone like Walker Evans or Irving Penn or any of these guys who uh, existed prior to digital, the way you would see their work is in print. And yes. so there is something to being seeing the book, uh, seeing the pictures in a way that was similarly intended by the artist. Uh, so it's a it's a small price to pay if you're into into books. It's a nice thing to have on your shelf. It's really well printed in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did say it was a little small, but a lot of his pictures were always printed small. They're, you know, back then nobody was printing you know sixteen by twenties or even eleven by fourteens. They would print very teeny tiny images. Uh, in fact, some of Evan's pictures he printed the size of postcards. So well, anyway, I, I highly said, recommend right? that book. Yeah. Sorry? Well, that's fantastic, Antonio. Thank you for that. I will put that in the show notes as well. So we'll have in the show notes the Wikipedia entry on Evans. The I also have a bunch of, of his photographs from Wikicom- Wikimedia, so the Wikicommons, mm-hmm. and that book I keep mentioning, and I'll link this book as well. 
Yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll send you a link to my shots that I did in uh, in in Hudson, New York, so you could see what what I was sort of. Oh, perfect. Uh, yes, uh, please. Walking through. So yeah, please, cool. yeah, I'll pop those in the show notes too. Um, Gosh, you got me so energized now. <laughs> great, that was the point. Um, <laughs> so before we wrap up, so um, I'm going to ask you to be a little bit brief on this, but okay, you, I'll try. As well as continuing to be a solo photographer. You have also recent, relatively recently joined up with some of your fellow photographers to form a, a collective, yes. um, which I think you're getting a lot of inspiration from. So do you want to just sort of explain to me, you know, who you guys are? Well, we're, we're, um, uh, we started from uh, a podcast. We actually had a podcast on um, uh, Shutter Time with Sid and Mac, and we did what was called the the Black Couch Sessions. Yeah, I love that. Actually, that was, that was six, fun. Five or six of us got on to sort of have a have a therapy session on on photography. And after that, we thought this was a really good idea that we we should have a place that's separate from the internet, even though we do use the internet, mm. but it's separate where we can. Uh, uh, talk about ideas in photography, bounce things back and forth with each other, get feedback, uh, even, you know, kind of complain about other things a little bit. So, you know, little the internet kicks in there. But this idea of having uh, like-minded uh, um, people sort of working towards the goal of helping each other out. And, and that's really all the goal is, right? Well, to, can you to, share the name you chose for yourselves? Because well, the name like was chosen. The name was chosen by Max Sokolsky of the Shutter Time podcast. I got to give him credit for that. But he, we were bouncing around. He goes, "Let's just call it the Unusual Collective," and, and we were all like, "That's perfect." It does exactly <laughs> what it says. It's a, very, it's a very unusual collection of photographers, um, and there's six of us. Um, and, you know, I, I hate to say it's like a club and I don't mean that, but we've, we've started this little thing and we're trying and we're nurturing it. And so, uh, we started a website, uh, we call it, it's the, uh, the, um, unusual collective dot photography. Uh, I don't Great think it's, it's unusual. It's unusual collective dot photography. And, uh, as a, as a sort of a service to the world and sort of to us, we've, we've been posting, uh, essays like, um, We've been doing a little bit more than once a month, but now we're sort of settling into the idea. We're going to probably put one up a month. And it's just to talk about photography in the way that we're doing it. Each one of us is doing it, like the observations and the learnings and just the things we want to share. Well, and I think up there, I actually go ahead. Sorry. What's unusual in 2019 is these are not snippets. These are actually thought out and considered pieces. Yes, yes. But I was going to say, don't get too used to that too much. Although, because we all have very busy schedules, a lot of us are doing other work. And so to try to put the stuff out on a regular basis, we might end up putting sometimes uh, some essays out that have more pictures than words. But uh, the idea is to try to combine some of that so that you can get an idea of where we're coming from. But uh, I'm actually working on, uh, I have, the, in November, I'll have be putting up a piece about um, photographing things that you love and uh, I'll, I'll just leave it at that so that you know cool people will come and come and check it out uh but yeah it's it's uh the six photographers are um uh myself uh brian Manier, um max sikulski uh david swiduck from he has a podcast called adventures in creativity um mac of course has uh, shutter time with sid and mac even though it was sid and it's mac and uh, his wife yeah, it's a shutter time now, but yes, it's, it's, yeah. it's still a fun Actually, show. Brian, yeah, Brian Manier has a, a new uh, podcast called, um, and I'm spacing out on it, uh, we, the, we the Creators. And then there's 
uh, my buddy Ward Rawson, who I've done the deep dives with, and yeah. uh, Mark Ryerson. Mark Ryerson, who's a great portrait photographer. Uh, half of us live in Canada, actually. So, um, yeah. So it's this. It's it's. I, I've always recommended this, like finding a small group of like-minded um people and i don't like-minded is kind of a weird way to say it but like the idea that you want to join together and help each other is is what i mean by sort of like-minded not like we all take the same kind of photographs or but this idea of sort of removing ourselves from sort of the noise of the internet and and having a quiet place where where you could just talk about the kind of work that you need help with and and people are willing to help you so that's the other part of the like-mindedness like you want to have that willing to to give and 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 to receive you know, you have to be part of this. Like we all want to give help. We all want to help. But the other part of it is you need to be able to receive help. Yeah. You know? And so I think the six of us are, are there to, are, 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 you know, likely to want to receive the help because uh, we all need, we all need help doing the work we want to do. Well, what I love is so the fact that, you, I mean, you say it's disconnected from the internet and it is in the sense that you're not stuck in the hubbub of the public Twitterverse where everyone is sniping and backstabbing right. and whatever. Yeah. But you ha you're not isolated either because the end product of this positive, constructive atmosphere you've built for yourselves is being made public. So we kind of get the value out of the fact that you guys have took a step back from the noise to create these... I mean, I don't think it's about length, right? What it's about is the no, fact right. that you've yeah. thought about it, right? The, the right. outputs from your group are not necessarily long, but they are considered. And that's a nice change in 2019. Well, thank you. And, you know, I think about it just as you're saying that, thinking about it like a, a fuel cell, you know, a fuel cell is uh, powering a car and the end, you know, the, the, um, what ends up in, in the environment is water, which is good for everybody. Right. Yes. So we're the car, we're the fuel cell, and hopefully what gets um, sort of sent out into the world is this little bit of help, you know, that that uh, that um, doesn't that just adds to the general uh, well-being of photography and creativity. Yeah, well, it's certainly the opposite of the, the, the noise you're trying to escape from, the, the, the toxic aspects of modern life. It's the inverse of that. And that is yeah. great. And we have enough of that on a daily basis. But I find... The collective, the guys there, um, right now we're only guys too. And it's just, you know, again, we're trying to figure out who we are too. We're still, we're, we're still in beta in a way, which is, you know, fine trying to figure out what's going on with us and what we're going to do. But uh, as we go forward, you know, things, uh, you know, maybe we'll open up to more members and we'll do do new, new things. I don't know where we're going with it, but yeah, you know, we all need to have that little quiet space where we can really tap into our creativity. If, if this was prior to the internet, you know, we'd be having coffee at a coffee house, you know, talking yeah. about photography once a month or something like that. So uh, yeah, the, we, we use the tools of the internet, but uh, we, we try to remove our, ourselves in order to present and, and have a, a space that uh, is conducive to creativity. I mean, for what it's worth, I think it's working out great for you guys. And I, I can hear it in your podcast and I can hear it in, in, in Shutter Time. It's been a really positive Im impact on you guys. I believe it has. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great thing. And I recommend, you know, anybody who wants to do that, you know, join a photography club or create a collective and and see what happens for it. It's a, it's a tough thing, you know, because it's relationships with people and we've had our ups and downs, you know, and so... Just like anything, uh, yeah, and six um, is six is a lot of cats to wrangle. So I'm impressed, I'm genuinely impressed. <laughs> Ward has said the exact same thing once when we were trying to have a meeting to to get together. He was like, "That's a lot of cats to wrangle." <laughs> it's like, "Yep, there you go." 
Well, Antonio, but, uh, thank you again um, for for giving so freely of your precious Sunday free time. Um, I really appreciate this. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, so, and thank you too for allowing me to come on and be so expressive and 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 share that energy. It's just it really helps me to. Uh, it helps me to get energized again too. And uh, well, I'm liking. delighted to so, hear that. You. That's a win-win. Win-wins are good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so do you want to just remind listeners, I mean, they, they've, they've heard you before, but it still helps to remind listeners that you are on Twitter and Instagram as? As AM Rosario. So at AM Rosario. Uh, yes. Anywhere you look for me is at AM Rosario. And then, um, yeah, on Flickr, and, I'm AM Rosario as well. Yeah. yeah and so. then don't forget to plug your podcast. Yeah, so uh, Street Shots podcast, um, and you can find that at streetshots.photography. I love that .photography domain, by the way. That is a nice <laughs> so, TLD, actually, to the point, right? Yeah, it's a podcast I do twice a month. I would love to do more. I'm you know, going to work on seeing if I can actually come out with more episodes, but uh, twice a month, uh, sometimes with interviews, sometimes with deep dives, and sometimes just uh, me talking about photography. Yeah, street shots dot photography. What you have in common with this show is that the format is whatever Antonio likes, and the format in this yes. show is whatever Bart <laughs> feels like. <laughs> I love that. That's that's a big freedom. So yeah, it is because my other show is very very formulaic, right? Let, let's talk Apple. Is we start with follow up, then we do uh, notable numbers, and then we do legal latest, and then we do Apple HR, and then we do the main stories, mm-hmm. and then we finish on the quick news. And this show is the opposite of that. Right. <laughs> Let's let your hair down, as it were. <laughs> yeah, what is structure? I, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, there will be show notes with all of the things we just mentioned uh, at letstashtalk.ie. And uh, Antonio, I'm going to say goodbye, and then the other me will probably put like a plugs and stuff in the end but uh, this me is going to say thank you again and i'm definitely going to come back to you in six months or so and get you to do your other pick great i appreciate it. i can't wait excellent well thank you and enjoy the rest of your weekend i will well, folks i hope you enjoyed that as much as i did um it was really good fun recording so thank you one last time antonio uh, again just a reminder that if you think you could do even half as good a job as Antonio did at being passionate about a photographer from history and you're game for a conversation with me, then please go to lestashtalk.ie and click on the contact uh, button and just let me know who you are, who you'd like to talk about and how I can get in touch with you and hopefully we can make something happen. Now, this is a listener-supported show. There are no advertisers, there are no um, sponsors, It really is just you guys who make this show possible. I'm at a place in life at the moment where podcasting can't cost me money or I just can't do it. Um, No two ways about it. Money's tight. That's just how it is. Life goes through these phases. Uh, So really, those of you who support the show are literally the only reason the show exists. Without listener support, there would be no show. So I am extremely appreciative of everyone who has contributed in whatever ways they can. Um, So the Patreon supporters, you guys help me pay the ongoing monthly bills. Patreon money comes in, bills go out, and the two are pretty darn close to being in line with each other, which is superb. So the way Patreon works is that People pledge a small dollar amount per episode recorded. There will be exactly two episodes per month, one photography, one Apple. So if you'd like to give me $5 a month, you pledge $2.50. If you'd like to give me $2 a month, you pledge $1. Basically, divide by two math. 
Um, and I, you know, Patreon supporters, you guys really are patrons of this podcast, and you keep the lights on. Now, from time to time, there are also other expenses that are not, you know, month-to-month recurring expenses. They're one-off things like software upgrades, hardware upgrades, and those are paid for through the PayPal donations. Uh, And that, you know, so basically PayPal's fee structure is such that it's really, really, really inefficient to give repeated small dollar amounts through PayPal. Basically, PayPal get all the money and I get almost nothing. Um, what PayPal is really good for is one-off, you know, anything $5 and up sort of size of donations. So if you've been listening for ages and you've checked, you know something, like throw Bart a few bob, then the PayPal button is a great way to just do that as a once-off. Here you go, Bart. Here's a bit of money towards whatever it is you're looking for at the moment. Um, And that's what PayPal is for. And, you know, all of you who've clicked that button over the years, thank you very much. There's also affiliate links, which are ways for you to help me by helping yourself. Um, the DigitalOcean one is by far the most powerful of the affiliate links. But of course, that's only useful to those of you who are nerdy enough to need Linux virtual machines or Kubernetes clusters or hosted databases as a service or, uh, you know, that kind of hosty sort of thing. And the great thing with the DigitalOcean link is that uh, you get free stuff as well as me. So you immediately get a $50 credit if you use my affiliate code. And then when you have spent 50 real dollars of actual money, then I get a $50 credit for having sent you their way. So a lot of the time, the hosting is actually free for a month or two because someone has made use of the affiliate link. It's a really nice way to support the show. The other affiliate link then is for Hover, which is domain registration. And that one is more one-sided. Um, basically, you use the referral code, I get money, you get nothing other than Hover's wonderful services. Um, I use Hover as my domain registrar, which is why I have an affiliate link. I would not have an affiliate link if I didn't use them myself and if I wasn't happy with them. They're not advertisers. They're just a company I work with and getting credit with them makes my life easier because I have bills from them that need paying. Anyway, um, I know a lot of you can't contribute financially, and I would never, ever, ever want anyone who is, you know, financially in a similar, I guess, you know, situation to me, where money's tight and you just got to be careful. You know, your support is equally as valued, and really, just tell your friends. Review the show in whatever podcast you're using. It all counts, right? If you tell someone about it, and that someone makes a donation, well, then you have helped make a donation, right? So it's, you know, anyway. I don't want to belabor the point, but every support of every kind is valued and really, genuinely, without you guys' amazing support over all of these years, the show would not exist and I am genuinely grateful. Everything is at lesh.talk.ie, including show notes of the various things Antonio mentioned, by the way. I've been your host, Bart Bouchot. You can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy snapping. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. My gal pals, Elisa, Susie, and Vicky, the three geeky ladies, told me to remind you that they will release a new podcast each month. So, check them out at 3geekyladies.com or subscribe in iTunes. The Three Geeky Ladies, part of the MyMac Podcasting Network.